Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of Life After Trek. I'm your host, Chris, or Captain Pike from Subspace Communique. Life After Trek is a podcast series where we like to interview former Star Trek cast and crew and kind of get an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look into their time in Star Trek and also what they're working on now, current projects. Tonight, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing uh, one of the most versatile actors on the planet, none other than Tony Todd. You know, many of you will remember him as Kern from Star Trek The Next Generation, as well as Deep Space Nine. For us, though, Tony's most memorable role is that of older Jake Sisko in the pivotal episode The Visitor. Uh, we actually get to talk to Tony quite a bit about The Visitor, and he gives us some really cool insight into his, his motivations behind the character. Uh, and I don't really want to give too much away because it's, it's a pretty amazing story. You guys will really dig. Um, but we also talk about Tony's current projects, including the thousands of films <laughs> that he's been in. Uh, and not thousands, but he's been in so many films uh, and television series. Uh, but this was a super special interview for us. Tony's one of our favorite actors, and uh, we hope you guys really enjoy it. So please stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to the program. Our guest tonight is an extremely well-versed actor uh, that has been in 90-plus films and an amazing amount of television. Uh, The series include 24, Chuck, CSI Miami, uh, and most recently The Event, uh, not to mention three out of the five Star Trek uh, series that are in existence. It's with great pleasure that we introduce Tony Todd to the podcast. Hey Tony, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me, and uh, hello, podcast universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're thrilled to, to hear from you. I know that uh, that our fans love Kern, uh, love your work on DS9 and Voyager, um, so I'm sure they're all super excited, as excited as we are oh, to talk oh, to you. Yeah. Whenever a movie is on late at night, the first thing I get is a, is a bag full of Kern and some butter. So. <laughs> <laughs> I understand completely where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that. Another, Some other friends of ours that run another Star Trek podcast, uh, they started a, a, a little name for you. They call you Candy Kern because of Candyman. And, oh, that's, 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 that's a new one. I like yeah. getting new and Candy Kern, okay. <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of spread. the butter and the salt, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of spread like wildfire. So you might get that at a convention. I might get it somewhere. Okay, that's great. <laughs> So um, we'll go ahead and start talking about your film career. You started with the film Sleepwalk uh, and then transitioned into the award-winning Oliver Stone film Platoon. Both of those were were released the same year. Did you do stage work before that? Yeah, that's my background. I actually uh, discovered a passion for acting back in high school. And thank God to a fortuitous English professor or English teacher at the time just handed me a script and I just, it just, it just felt right. Like putting on a, a Joseph and the Technicolor coat. And, uh, and I went to, uh, went to college and then followed that up with the master's program at Trinity Rock in oh, Providence, wow. uh, through the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, both of which have won Tony's for their body of work. So, uh, yeah, I had great teachers and I just, you know, studied theater from nothing from eight in the morning to midnight and for seven years. Oh, wow. And then to reinforce that, I, I taught for three years in the public school system and uh, worked with what they call disenfranchised youth who came to me every day, four days a week for four hours. And, uh, and then after working with them, I decided it was time to take my shot in New York City. That's fantastic. So everything just sort of fell into place. You know, it was really, it was really you know, 
I pinch myself every day on how miraculous it all had. Because I keep you hear about years of struggle and stuff like that. I guess I put my struggle into the study. Because when I got to New York, I actually got my equity card within two weeks. Oh, oh wow. wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was. But I always had belief in myself. So it wasn't like I ever thought I wouldn't be doing that. Right. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Your your body of work is so extensive. Um, you, you know, some I don't I don't know if people out there know of all the films that you've been in. Like I said in the intro, it's ninety plus, and I think that's a low estimate. Well, you know, and I'm kind of glad that they don't know because I I, I know how difficult it is just being me and trying <laughs> to navigate to the public. You know, I mean, shopping after midnight. Wearing sunglasses, literally. I would never want to be as cool as superstar. And I think one of the reasons people don't realize that I've done more than one or two films is that I always put the role first. You know, I put the character first and Tony second, as opposed to the other way around. Right. Yeah, and totally. it, I believe that shows in your work, especially um, with the stuff that we're familiar with, uh, being uh, Star Trek uh, and the other films that you've been in. One of our favorites, The Crow, um, is another, oh, another fantastic one. Films I was had the pleasure of working on, you know, sans the tragedy, but sure. uh, it was uh, it was a remarkable experience. Candyman series, Final Destination, The Rock, are just the tip of the iceberg of the of the films that Tony's been in. But now he's transitioning uh, behind the camera, uh, doing some writing and directing. Slowly, slowly making that move. You know, it's weird because when I went to got my masters, that my focus was actually writing and directing. Acting was like something that they forced me to take <laughs> yeah, I liked it but I really wanted to be hands on and uh, and it was just the luck of the draw when I got to New York I got gigs as an actor and I sort of got sidetracked so ultimately I'm going to return full frontal to my initial creative passion awesome. I think I'll be a better person for that because after acting all these years there's nothing that I won't be able to tell another actor and they won't be able to bullshit me and, uh, <laughs> oh yeah you know what I mean? I'll be, I have the language of an actor in my bones. Now, sure. So. Absolutely. And, and so the, the film that I'm referencing is Erie PA and that's your first directing uh, role. We'll be where we are right now with that. Cause I also, I wrote it and uh, I'm acting in it and I just finished working on a film called unbroken that I shot down in uh, Richmond, Virginia area. And I asked, it was for me and I've done a bunch of stuff. But I think it's some of my best work in the horror ghost story category. And I, I got to work for a director now there named Paul Moore. He's got an interesting backstory. He used to be a bounty hunter for years. He's a man's man. It's kind of a relationship I would imagine between John Houston and Humphrey Bogart. You know, oh, wow. we do the work, we share a drink, we share, you know, horror stories. And right now we're leaning towards, I might let him direct so that I can focus on the other two things and save my directing debut for something else. Gotcha. As my biggest thing is that I want the project made. So sure. That's, uh, you know, so whatever it takes. But I feel comfortable with this gentleman. Yeah. With, with like, directing and writing and acting, do you ever find that there's any conflicts with, between the three, well, or is it upsides? Well, I don't want to be that guy on the set that's in, in charge of three departments. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> I mean, acting is a, it's a collaboration, first and foremost. And you're only as good as your weakest link. And uh, I think that might, I know I could handle it, but I think I would be less of a head case if I gave up one of the positions. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and I sort of have to act in it in order to raise the funding, mm-hmm. which I have no problem with. Um, 
And the writing, you know, I did that, so the writing's going to take a lot of weight. What's the premise behind uh, Erie PA? Well, it's interesting. Uh, a, a, a fellow student who I went to Trinity rep with, who was, you know, the weird thing about going through great specialized training programs, I remember that the room was filled with 20 very talented people, extremely talented. That's why we were all selected for the particular program. At the end of the day, though, fast forward to 2011, I think only three of us are working professionally. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And, uh, I worry, and that's, you know, for a variety of reasons. People get out and they don't realize how hard it is. Some people can't take the rejection that goes along with this business each and every day, family circumstances, whatever. So this one guy who was a friend of mine, he reached out to me one day and he says, Tony, you were a writer. Write something for me, please. And he, he happens to be working actively as a sound man, but I know that his passion was acting. So he threw that at me, and I, I had visited Erie PA on a convention, and I was just struck with the romantic, the dying romanticism of that town. Mm. It's like an aging dinosaur that's just, you know, that was once active and fertile and part of the whole American landscape in terms of commerce and stuff. So I, I visualized a story about these two bookies, uh, me and him who were content with making three, 400 a week, and all of a sudden they get into a situation that's way over their heads. And then it becomes a test of their loyalty and their friendship to each other. Uh, it also takes place during the real time of an actual Steelers-Browns uh, football game. Hmm. And it's just uh, filled with like myopic, real, kind of like the characters that are in the fighter. Okay. And also my inspiration was also Midnight Cowboy, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Definitely. And, and that would be a, a super interesting story, especially on that. You said it's, it's a, a decaying background. It used to be a... Yeah, that's right. These people are like stuck in the 70s. They're still wearing the mullet. You, know, <laughs> you, can buy, you can buy a beer for 75 cents. You know, it's like... Sure. And you got all these buildings that were once industrial giants are decaying. Mm -hmm. yeah. So against that background, one of these two guys who are in their 50s who are gasping for one last breath of air. You know? Yeah, definitely. It, to me, being a, and this is kind of kind of strange and off topic, but I'm a huge uh, Bruce Springsteen fan. It sounds like oh, something so. that would be epic for a Springsteen song. Exactly. That think that soundtrack and you got the story. However, musically for this piece, I'm a huge music fan, and uh, there used to be an acapella group called the Persuasions that I was a rabbit fan of. I loved the sound of just voice alone, and I had the pleasure of meeting Jerry Lawson, who was their lead singer. So I wrote it, I'm thinking, I want to use acapella music throughout the film, bridging scenes. And the film opens with the Billy Joel film, Dirt of Dreams, uh, acapella style. Oh, that'd be fantastic. So, yeah, so it's got that kind of mind-altering, through spring scenes, sans East Street Band quality. My hometown would be a perfect, you know, oh, perfect. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know and I mean? So are you actually, um, are you filming that now? Is that in pre-production? No, no, we're in pre-production. We had the, the funding set up, uh, but then the economy tanked. And we lost the, uh, the mutual funds. Sure. So now we're in the rebuilding stage. I know who I want in it. I mean, in addition to Bob Zucchetti, who would be my guy, uh, playing opposite me, I need to pepper it with people, you know, named by you. So there's a protagonist character called Richie, who's the town mafiosa guy who uh, someone like a combination of John Voight, Robert De Niro, who would help me with, you know, getting the distribution stuff in place. Right. I, yeah. I don't have a commitment from either of them, but I have chips in. Oh, wow. So it'd be somebody like that. That'd be great. Or Steve Machini, that kind of thing. 
definitely. I could, yeah, I could totally see them in, in that, uh, that story and that, that type of, uh, of, uh, atmosphere. That would be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And, and also the Picardius character, he's like arthritic, he walks with two canes, you know, he's a guy that like takes great pleasure in pulling the wings off flies. So <laughs> when he talks to guys, when he tells them you got 72 hours to make this nut or not, they know he means business because sure. that's what he lives for taking pleasure away from other people. Yeah, now you've totally, you've piqued my interest. I know, now Especially I with, with the passion you have talking about uh-huh. it. I totally want to see that. That sounds great. Well, it's, my, it's my dream project, and, and it will help me make that transition to, uh, you know, taking it to the next level. Sure, absolutely. And maybe at the cost of my, uh, you know, my privacy, but <laughs> go, for, <laughs> go for the breaks. Yeah, definitely. And you said that you just finished, was it uh, was it Unbroken? Is that correct? Unbroken. Okay. This is a fantastic little ghost story. Simple, one set, a dilapidated church. I play a man of the cloth whose faith is tested. And uh, it's a beautiful story, man. Can't wait for you guys to see it. Yeah, and when is the, the release for that one? Well, we just finished it in November, okay. so they're still doing the color correction and getting everything sometime later this year. I'm gotcha. Asking. Awesome. Okay. Hopefully now we'll do a debut down there in Austin, which is one of my Yeah, that would cities. be so cool. Yeah, we would yeah. love that. We would definitely show up for that. Oh, yeah, South by Southwest is the source. And mm-hmm. I, I spent six months in Austin, uh, did a miniseries called True Women. Oh, wow. Uh, which was one of Angelina Jolie's first projects before she became Angelina. <laughs> and uh, I have a fondness for the city. Yeah, <laughs> it's we're actually from Southern California, I'm sure. I'll probably edit this out because everybody's heard this story on our podcast at least once. But we're originally from Southern California. We moved here um, to Austin. And uh, it's as close to California as you can get without actually being in the state. Absolutely, without any of the, the tension. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. remember I was, I, was, I was there during that back festival that they had. I thought... On paper, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of, but it was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> In case people don't know that, that's where people celebrate the arrival of the bats. What is that? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty intense. Yeah, I can't remember exactly when it is, but yeah, and you get to see them all fly away. It's pretty crazy. It's insane. I love it. If I could just combine the bats into my story and area, that would be a wonderful idea. Yeah, that but, would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> So I think what uh, what we want to talk about next, you um, uh, worked with Tim Russ uh, directing uh, and Ethan mm-hmm. Phillips in yeah. <laughs> uh, A Night at the, at the Silent Movie Theater. Um, now, we heard Tim talking about that. We were at uh, Starbase Indy in Indianapolis. Uh, he said that the, the film is still seeking distribution, uh, but uh, it sounds like a, an interesting story. It is. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. But again, we filmed that at the, I guess, in the middle of the economic distress. Okay. So the game has changed. The film is completed. I believe in it. And, uh, you know, I just got a film that just saw the light of day on cable called Tournament of Dreams about a girls basketball team that I deliberately took in for my daughter, who's now oh, wow. in college. And it just now surfaced. <laughs> so, you know, eventually, product never dies. And uh, and the reason I took one reason I took it was because of Tim. Sure, it was his directorial debut, and uh, it was a great character. Yeah, we're we're looking forward to that. I know there's been a lot of clamor to see it um, from from the Trek community just because it contains you guys. Um, and, yeah, and, and also Ethan is in it. Right. Yeah. And Phillips is in it as well. It's so interesting. The Star Trek fandom um, they eat up anything they can, uh, you know, something that relates to the people that were in Star Trek. And not necessarily Star Trek related, but they're such avid fans 
I had an audition today at Disney for a new TV series, which I won't name because I don't have it yet. Sure. Uh -huh. uh, on my way in, I passed by Michael Dorn. Oh, wow. So, so <laughs> I always tend to do whenever I go to Disney. And then just last week, I did a voiceover for this new show on Cartoon Network called Young Justice, where I get to play my first superhero called oh, wow. Icon. Very cool. Uh, Marina Sirtis is in that cast. Oh, no kidding. So, it's such a small world. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Particularly with Star Trek. It's a small world and a huge universe. <laughs> right, exactly. So in the, the Disney hallway there, you guys had a, a small Sons of Moog reunion. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of us, neither of us had our foreheads on, so. Yeah. <laughs> no bat lifts or anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> How do you like uh, voiceover work? Uh, I'm getting more and more of it lately. Uh, it, it's one of the toughest mediums cracked. Because if your voice is too recognizable, people deprive. I haven't gotten my car commercial yet. It's mm -hmm. various fortunes. They want the car to be the star, you know. Um, but I have been getting some niche work, you know. The Transformers was a big uh, help, even though the film ended up winning four raspberries. It still grossed one of the highest grosses in history. Oh wow! So then it was cool to be in Transformers. You know? Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, what grown-up kid wouldn't want that? Yeah, <laughs> totally. I know. I yeah. I yeah. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Transformers, so I know exactly what you're saying. And when I got the call from Michael Bay, and they said uh, Michael's interested in you coming, I had worked with Michael on the Rock, and you know, I go in, and he shows me he's got like all these toys, all these high-tech, <laughs> you know, like hundred million dollar toys. This is just what it looks like, and his enthusiasm just spilled into me, and. He didn't tell me right away that he was going to use me. He made me lay down some stuff, and a week later, we secured the deal. So oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. I heard through the grapevine that they originally, Leonard Nimoy was supposed to do it. Oh, really? No kidding. Yeah, so another connection. I don't know what happened, and, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, now that you hear that, you heard that here first, folks. Leonard Nimoy <laughs> and Transformers. You know, that's a rumor I heard. I don't know if it's substantiated, but it makes sense. Sure. And, uh, you know. Definitely. Well, if not one, then another, I guess, huh? Definitely, yeah. And it, we actually read uh, something about a, another film called Changing the Game. Um, yes, and, and I shot last year. And we, we saw the, the plot for it. Um, you could probably give us a little bit more info, but is there a hint of a supernatural twist in that plot? Mm, not directly, no. Okay. Um, no, it's a, it's a small film that was shot in Philadelphia, set in Philadelphia, about a young African-American kid who struggles constantly between being a Wall Street genius or being lured into a life of corruption. Mm. And uh, the filmmaker is a friend of mine. I, we've known each other for four years now, and we talk twice a week, and his passion is just uh, is just overwhelming. His name is Ralph Dowell. I'm on the watch for it. And uh, we were actually one of the contenders for Sundance this year. We didn't get in. But, oh, wow. Uh, it's going to be a life for it. Um, the good thing for me in that film is that I actually played two different characters. Oh, no kidding. A small pool of actors that have been able to do that. So, and they're completely different. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. So that may be the only supernatural thing. Mm. People might go, wait a minute. So we'll see. Definitely. And is there any news on when that might be? Uh, hitting uh, that, I know Rail is working full time securing distribution and stuff, so that'll be sometime this year. The only one that I know absolutely has a pencil in date, or because it's just of the nature of its enormity, is Final Destination Five. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so it 
shot in November, and they fully expect it to open at number one. And if it does, they plan to shoot two more simultaneously. So, oh, no wow. kidding. Uh, yeah, that takes care of my daughter's grad school. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad at all. <laughs> yeah, well, considering her junior year is going to be spent abroad. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. She told me yesterday it's either Italy, Ecuador, or South America, South Africa. Oh wow! So I'm working on that international phone plan and <laughs> <laughs> paying attention to what's happening politically in the world. Sure, uh-huh. sure, absolutely. God bless everybody to all of our people and friends and fans in Egypt. Yeah, and, uh, mm, yeah. We're trying to shut down internet, and I hope they sort that out sooner than later. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I know that's that's major news right now. We're probably going to release this, I would say, in a, a week or two. So hopefully uh, there's at yeah, least hopefully. been some resolution to it by then. Yeah, because it's, it's when you ever you release or free prisoners from prisons and, you know, you, you're setting the stages for anarchy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm all for revolution, but I'm, I'm into surgical revolution. Right, definitely. Now, not to not to change the the topic too much here, but you said you were in Erie for a convention. Do you do many conventions every year? There was a point when I did, uh, you know, and the whole convention circuit I think was established with the whole Star Trek world. Mm. Um, I, I I got a point when I got burnt out when I felt I was uh, finding the same photographs and stuff. So I slowed down a bit, but I still do about three a year now. Okay. I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to be doing uh, one in uh, in Texas, and not not Austin, unfortunately. Uh, in Dallas. Okay. In oh, March. cool. My first one for the year. Oh no, kidding! Is so that that's, the Dallas Comic Con? Yeah, Dallas Comic Con. Yeah, that's it. Oh, no, not cool. the Dallas Comic Con. I think it's called the uh, Comic Palooza. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's the first we've heard of it. We're going to have to check yeah. that out. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's not too yeah. far from us, so we'll have to make it up there. Oh, great. Terrific. Make sure you tell me who you are. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, we definitely will. Do you think you'll be heading to uh, Vegas this year? No, I don't okay. think so. For the Star Trek one? Right. Yeah, the August one? No. no, I did that two years ago. So okay. I prefer the ones with the fan oriented. Definitely. And and honestly, we cover uh, we cover a lot of conventions. We go to them and cover them, and, and we enjoy the fan ones a bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, it just seems like a, a, a better environment. You get, yeah, you get so. a little personal experience with people that way. But I like a little more interaction with, with if I'm going to do it, and I rather I don't want to be told that I can't right. speak to people. And that's good because we like the interaction. <laughs> yeah, we we fans. love talking to people. So. Yeah, so that's great that you're wanting to do that. More people—that's part of the thing. Definitely. So, so I think we want to transition uh, into into Star Trek. Um, you started, uh, actually, your first role on Star Trek, obviously, was Kern in 1990. Um, right. So was there any initial plan with that episode to re- return Kern, or was that just kind of happenstance that you came back later in, in Redemption 1 and 2? Well, I, I think before I got Kern, I had auditioned for them four times Okay. within, within a six-week period. So I knew they were interested, but, you know, uh, they were just looking for the right the right situation and of the six that I auditioned for uh, Kern was the one that had the most legs so it was the right thing I'll never forget that audition because it was at the Mark uh, at the Grotzo Marks building on the Paramount lot can't get more Hollywood than that <laughs> go in 
lay it down and good to see you guys again, you know, and uh, did it. And then before I could walk out the door, Ron Surma, the casting came running out and said, Tony, Tony, you got to go to wardrobe. So it was one of those magic moments. No kidding. Yeah. That's great. Literally within five minutes of doing it. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's amazing. And the cool thing yeah. about Kern um, coming on uh, in Sin, uh, Sins of the Father it deepened the, the Klingon aspect so much more, adding obviously a Klingon family uh, for mm-hmm. Worf, uh, but just the you know the, the Klingon culture uh, was was so much more diverse with Kern. We got to see a, a deeper side into Klingons. Well, considering Klingons are rebellious in nature anyway, and then Kern was even more rebellious in that. <laughs> <laughs> it made sense that he was a bad seed. Sure, you know. Uh, the only episode that I had a problem with was uh, the, 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 the Sons of Moog when they erased my memory because right. we, ex- we accepted before we read the script. And, uh, you know, to, to, to eliminate Kern in that fashion, a little off-putting, but, you know. That's interesting to, to hear, too, because a lot of fans feel that same way. Um, we wanted to see, obviously, see more of them. Yeah, I didn't think his, I don't think, I didn't think his time was done. And uh, and I know there was talk for a while of spinning off a Klingon series, and they told me if that would have happened, he would have had more. Right. Uh, but alas, that never happened. Yeah. What I'm up doing now, though, is lobbying because of the start of the Transformers, you know, Kurtzman and... Um, uh, uh, Roberto Orsi. Uh, yeah, thank you, Orki, who I had worked with on... Their first job was on Hercules. Mm. I was in that episode. So when Transformers came along, you know, they're, they're struggling with coming up the next script for Star Trek, the movie. And so I think I have a good shot at maybe reprising the Klingon character on that. That would oh, be that epic. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah, oh, that gosh. would be epic. That would be great. Yeah, it would be. I, I'm, yeah, I'm still, a, I'm still a fan, so that would be very cool. And I know more, I know more now than I knew then, so it would be a deeper, a deeper experience sure yeah and so were you a fan of star trek before you auditioned for kern i grew up on the original star trek uh you know i was raised by a single woman uh who did a fantastic job just keeping me balanced and keeping me out of trouble and one of our learning tools is to watch good television before the days of cable when you have now too many things to choose from sure um and watching classic movies together, and then she would use those as a lesson plan for life. Oh, wow. So uh, Star Trek was one of those things that we would share together. That's awesome. And you actually hear that quite a bit uh, with Star Trek fans, especially with the original series, uh, because it was so groundbreaking. A lot of a lot of fans, and actually I think even Michael Dorn uh, has a similar story, because I know that he was a huge fan of uh, the original series. Um, so that's 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 uh, not unusual to hear, but it's awesome to hear that you were a fan before. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a fan of anything with a good story and and that has some human redemptive you know effort. Definitely, definitely. And so when you when you came onto the set of uh, of the next generation um, mm-hmm. as as a guest star, what was the environment like for you? Well, the show was already a hit, right? If I recall. And my, you know, I'm nervous, but then again, I had on this makeup and this beautiful costume. So, you know, uh, I don't know if I can't stress enough that I'm basically a shy person. And one of the reasons I discovered acting was that I was able to discover other personalities and, you know, uh, unfortunately, find women by 
doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, my very first scene on the show was on the on on board on deck of the Enterprise. Oh wow! I mean, how cool is that? I mean, here I am being ahead, you know. And my very first scene is is castigating Wesley Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's and just watching the technical. I mean, that show was very. They did such a great job with the production values. You know, everything was laid out. That's why all the prop pieces are so valued today. You know, I mean, they were really paid attention to detail and creating a, a, a an environment of what if the world was like. Not unlike when we were all kids, we were fascinated by the Jetsons. You know? Sure. Would it be a day when you actually have a flying car? Right, definitely. Which I'm still waiting for. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'd say, well, yeah, more and more. Sometimes it feels more like the the Flintstones. Whatever, whatever. I have to take one of those little prop planes. I have to do quite a bit because of my travels. You know, I look for the holes where you got to stick your feet out. <laughs> Run them down the runway. Huh? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> So I I think what we want to talk about now is something that is super near and dear to our hearts. It's the visitor from DS9. Um, mm. We honestly, and it's not it's not something to pay you lip service, but for us, the visitor is one of the best uh, episodes of 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 television ever. Um, I, I really deeply appreciate that, and um, it's interesting because when I got that role. Uh, the woman that I had referenced before who raised me, her name was Clara, uh, she had passed away. And mm. her death and her leaving really profoundly affected me because uh, fortunately she got a chance to see some of my success. But as a young adult, she was someone I would call every day, mm. every single day. And I would tell her when I got a job, when I didn't get a job, and she would always understand. And and when she passed, she unfortunately lived to 82, uh, but I was traumatized. It couldn't work. Sure. And out of the fog came this script. And I said, okay, is this what you want me to do? And uh, I was able to channel her through that character of, of the elder Jake Siskel. Wow. And then also the importance, I mean, the internet was exploding at that time as well. So for the first time, I was able to like get online and, and they had all those Star Trek rooms at the time. And I was just floored with the stories that were passing around of, of, of the effect that that show had on people. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's, a special, it's a special moment for me. And it won a bunch of awards, and I know it's a fan favorite. And, uh, yeah, deservedly. Oh, it's, it's wonderful, yeah. Deservedly, for yeah. sure. You know, it's, it's interesting about The Visitor. You know, obviously, we watch a lot of Star Trek. Um, and mm -hmm. sometimes we watch them... Um, in chronological order of release or, or whatever I'll get to the visitor and, and I have to honestly make a conscious decision whether or not I want to pay that emotional toll toll, uh, to watch the, <laughs> the show. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's well, so uh, deep. Yeah. It is deep. And you know what? I, it's interesting because uh, about a month ago I was going to see the fighter and, and, and I hear this person say Tony and it was David Livingston who directed that episode. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Out, and I was coming in, and we hadn't seen each other in a good five years, and uh, and we got to thank each other. It was the first time that we had to be able to thank each other mutually for the experience, because I think he was a great director and a very passionate producer of the whole Star Trek experience. Definitely. So 
uh, you could, I think he told me he's got some irons in the fire, so he may be cropping up again sooner than later. Oh, wow. That's great. Uh, thank you, David. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, there's another weird story about the visit. My final day working on that show, I had a 1 o'clock uh, a.m. set call, 1 in the morning on oh, a wow. Sunday into Monday, okay, because I had to go through five hours of makeup for a 6 o'clock set call. Wow. And at the end of the day, I think I put in 22 hours. Oh, my. Uh, it was definitely uh, the most taxing day I ever had in the show business. I can, I can only imagine. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some of this fatigue that the guy had was, right. was just part of the whole, the whole can of worms. It was the real deal, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, but it was great. Okay, I had worked with everybody at the point. I knew the people in the makeup, and you know, hats off to the whole Michael Westmore team that he assembled. Because, sure. Uh, the, 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 the details, the prosthetic work in, on that, on all the shows is incredible. Definitely. And now you you've worked on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, if you're an actor that gives yourself over to the prosthetic experience, allow yourself to transform while it's happening and not resist it. It's it just helps you fall into character. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, the hardest part is getting the makeup off. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But that point you're done, and it still takes an hour and change to get oh, on wow. and it off. Yeah, but you're done. You're spent by that point. I, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you get to emote a lot of different, a, a lot of different stuff. That's the only word I can come up with here. But it's, I'm sure it's a completely different experience for you, uh, being with makeup like that and then without. Oh yeah, it's, it helps you. It, it's like putting on a new set of clothes. It's uh, if you don't fight it, it, you realize it's an enhancement. You know, mm. it's another part. Of, and I learned that early on working in this medium that you know, every single department is equally important. It's a collaboration. That's why I have trouble sometimes with actors who think that they're, you know, that they do it all by themselves. Nobody does. Right. You know, for every show that's successful on television, there's a hundred people that work in various crew elements and, um, and, it, and it's teamwork. Some, some may be recognized more than others, but everybody's equally important. I fully believe that. Yeah. But, well, actually, you know what? That's a good place to be to as an actor. I'm sure it's a lot easier to, to work with the crew, you know, if there's that mutual appreciation. So I'm sure it makes for a wonderful environment. It does. And for me, I mean, it's, it's not something I go out of my way to do. I mean, I give what you get. Right. Uh, but, uh, it tends, I tend to get repeat jobs, I think, more than a lot of people mm. because I actually have a good time on the set. I like what I do. Yeah. I like this. And it shows, too. I know how special and how difficult it is. You know, it's, it's not easy. Definitely. And the hardest part is getting the job, you know? Right. Getting the job <laughs> is what's difficult. But I, even that I look forward to. I find it a challenge, and you know, each audition opportunity is just that. It's an opportunity for your work to be uh, appreciated. Yeah, so was the was the atmosphere different on the three series that you worked on, DS9, Voyager, and, and The Next Generation? Yeah, it was. Um, by the time I did um, Voyager, uh, it was definitely a more of a machine, and... Uh, less interesting than the first two experiences. Mm. Um, and it's probably why I never did Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I did put it out there. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if I did all three of these shows? But it wasn't <laughs> um, That would have been amazing because yeah, you would have been, been cool. on four out of the five. Not that three out of the five isn't something that's, you know, 
something that you can brag about? I, I did do three out of the five. Didn't yeah, I, didn't I? Okay. you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was only two. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty. That, that, that's, that's something to be proud of, especially uh, in Trek fandom. It's something that has beloved is the whole Star Trek world. Definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think what we'll do now, we always like to end the show. And, and again, thank you for joining us. Thanks for spending time with us and, and out of your busy schedule. Yeah, thank you very much. Folks out there, I don't know if you... if you, Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if the folks out there know, but Tony is, in our estimation, the hardest working man in show business. So for him to take Tim time out of... Said that to me just the other day. They said, <laughs> name to James Brown. <laughs> 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 oh man but yeah but it's a good thing the day it becomes a chore or a tedious thing I just, I'll stop yeah. I'll just travel the world I mean I, I enjoy what I do and it keeps me young yeah it keeps me passionate and you know I've had two kids both of which are college age uh, it's a full life yeah definitely and, uh, I get to meet people wherever you know it was weird I was flying out to Newport News the other day uh and like TSA, very small airport, the entire TSA crew in the midst of giving me a body scan and going through my luggage and taking off my shoes were all giving me props. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm glad you love me, but don't stick me with that prod, all right? <laughs> That's not bad to be in good with the TSA. Yeah, totally. No, no, but they, even if they like you, they still put you through it. I yeah. Know. <laughs> Yeah, I guess in case it just happened to be a clone, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly, definitely. So what we like to end the show with, and this is probably something you've been asked at conventions, we've thrown that out there to some of the other Star Trek stars that we've talked to. Some say it has, some say it hasn't. Uh, but to make a long story uh, short, a long question short, uh, what's your ep- what's your favorite episode of Star Trek? And it doesn't necessarily have to be one that you've been in, but... You know, the, the the door's wide open. Whatever you find most interesting. Any series, yeah, any episode. Okay. Uh, the one that probably had the most profound impact at the time that I saw it was A Trouble with Tribbles. Yeah, that's a great episode. Mm-hmm. You know, that would probably be, that would probably be it. I mean, there's lots that I like, but if you ask me for one, so it, <laughs> it had everything. It was whimsical. It was uh, imaginative. I believe the situation you know, and I think at that time that you know William Shatner, Sir William Shatner, was thoroughly enjoying himself. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And there were Klingons, so it all comes full circle. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's fantastic. And of course, ours again is the visitor. And and I don't know if, of a Star Trek fan that hasn't seen that. But if you're listening to, to this podcast right now, and you haven't seen the visitor, hit stop and go watch it. <laughs> I mean, it's something that everyone needs to see. Yeah, it, yeah, it's great. So many people have told me that they've been able to get people that weren't into Star Trek into Star Trek by showing them that episode. And I think that's the highest compliment. Yeah, I could totally um, see that. It's the perfect uh, science fiction uh, story, too, because it's telling uh, an emotional you know, story through the, the right. veil of science fiction. Right, right. Um, one more thing I just want to plug that you didn't bring up that is Star Trek related. I did that small movie called Man from Earth. Okay. Um, which I, I don't know if you've seen, but it was written by Jerome Bixby, uh, who wrote Fantastic Voyage and some of the early episodes of Star Trek. Oh, wow. And uh, John Billingsley is in it with me. We have those two connections, and everybody that's seen it has raved about it. 
So Man from Earth, small film, uh, set in one location. What's it about? Um, it's about a bunch of professors who gather to say goodbye to another professor. And as the evening goes on, he tries to convince us that he's uh, from another planet. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, and as it progresses, we begin to believe him, and then the rug is pulled out of everybody. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're going to have to check that out, totally. Check it out. I know it's available. Amazon, Netflix, all that. Definitely. And, and folks out there, Man from Earth, check that out for sure. Man from Earth. Definitely. Yeah. So thank you so much for spending time with us. You're and it, This is one of the highlights of, of being able to do a podcast, uh, being able to talk to you. Enjoy. Have fun down there. And also, you guys aren't hit by the weather pattern, right? Well, well it's a little cold, yeah. but we aren't getting much of the, you know, weather, quote unquote. So yeah, it's well, it's cold for here. It's I mean, you got down into the 20s, which is definitely cold for some southern Southern Californians. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It was cold to us. <laughs> I heard in Dallas it was minus three this morning. Oh, no wow. kidding. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's not us, thank goodness. The airport wow. shut down. So, oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. Global warming, everybody. <laughs> <All right. laughs> totally. That's oh, thank you so much. Yeah, oh, and thank you for Take mentioning your, your Dallas appearance because right. we're going to have to definitely be there for yeah, that. Yeah, we'll be there for that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks you, you so much. You too. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. See you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was episode seven of Life After Trek. Um, We had an absolute blast talking to Tony Todd. I think this is probably one of the most memorable interviews for us because Tony is one of our absolute favorite actors. I wanted to give a a quick shout out to a couple other podcasts that we dig. Obviously, TrekCast.com. I mentioned them in this episode and unfortunately not by name. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, but they were the ones that came up with uh, the Candy Curran uh, name for Tony, which is hilarious in itself, and Tony seemed to get a, get a pretty big kick out of that. Uh, but you can check them out at trekcast.com. A couple other podcasts, the Sci-Fi Diner podcast with Scott and Miles. You can check them out on iTunes and the Sci-Fi Diner podcast.com. One last show I'd like to talk about is Geek Fights. Uh, you can check them out at, on iTunes as well and geekfights.net. If you haven't checked out our site, that's subspacecommunicate.com. You can actually go and check us out on Twitter, too, twitter.com slash subspacecoms. And you can do the Facebook thing like all the cool kids are doing, facebook.com slash subspacecoms. We have a few more interviews lined up for you guys and gals to listen to. Those should be coming in the next month or so. We thoroughly enjoy doing this podcast and hope you guys uh, enjoy it as well. Uh, So please look forward to those upcoming episodes. And until next time... Live long and prosper.